first roadblock is zinc. And we'll talk about the best source of zinc soon because zinc helps the macrophage recognize that the virus is a foreign threat and it should be destroyed. If you're low in zinc, and, and, and conservative data would say that at least a quarter of the world's population is critically low in zinc. So you will not recognize the virus as a threat. Your macrophages won't recognize it. So your first roadblock is get your zinc levels normal. What are the best what's the best for, source of zinc in the in the homo species diet? I'm Luca Reddy, the host of the Feeling Alive podcast. Thank you for joining me. Here you will learn what it truly means to feel alive. Fulfillment, empowerment, and true self-expression are the pillars of this podcast. I believe our greatest potential exists when our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health are in balance. My mission is to inspire you to push your edges of comfort, regain your energetic balance, and leap into your greatest potential. Question is, are you ready? And just a few things before we get going. My greatest goal is to see this podcast reaching more and more people. So if you can rate, review and share this podcast on iTunes, that would greatly help this mission. And more importantly, serve the people needing to hear this most. Does this sound like you? You've been riding an emotional seesaw of fear, anger, jealousy, guilt or sadness. You seem to be more and more disconnected from your friends and potentially family and you don't know why. Or you want to make some positive change in your life but you don't know how or what you are doing isn't working. I have some good news. I've created a free five-day training, ebook and meditation on shifting your reality. This is a powerful training to help you change your perspective on your life so far. It gives you a great tool to use every day and in turn, shift your external reality for the better. It's a powerful training for you for free, so it's a no-brainer. And if you do need further support on this journey of finding your greatest potential, I have spaces available for men and women in my Momentum Mentoring Program. You will work with me one-on-one to unpack your story, shift your perspective on matters in your past, empower you with powerful tools to use in your life, and give you more clarity on your mission in life. So both links for these offers are in the show notes. And if you resonate with either, please do go ahead and get involved. Most importantly, I'm grateful that you are here. So thank you. And without further delay, here is your episode. Welcome back to the Feeling Alive with Luca Reedy podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, you are going to love this episode. It is with Dr. Greg Emerson, a physician of 30 years. I wanted to bring him onto the show today to share his experience, his expertise, his knowledge on the coronavirus and to use his perspective, uh, which is a, it's an ama- his, his philosophy, his medical experience and philosophies are very applicable in today's world on how we can actually not outrun the virus but outsmart it and we're using uh, mother using mother nature as it's uh, as a guide for us to actually harness and strengthen a strong immune system so we don't keep catching the virus and we don't keep catching not only this virus but another virus and so we can strengthen our immunity and also enhance our well-being so enjoy this episode it's jam-packed i'm going to leave it at that but just get into it and enjoy 
Oh, welcome back. Here we are. We've got this podcast going live. It's a very important one right now because of the times. And I think there's no better person to have right now other than Greg, Dr. Greg Emerson. Greg, how are you, brother? I'm doing good. Thanks, Luca. Man, it's good to have you here. I know we've um, been meaning to have a podcast of some sort for for a while now since we met in Bali, but it seems like better than ever that it's worked out today to talk about the coronavirus. So... It's given me a couple of months to recover from riding on the back of your motorbike through. <laughs> That's a bit scary, eh? Yeah, no worries, bro. Um, so, look, the first thing is, I want to just, um, I want to just give everyone listening just a quick your little introduction of yourself and, and your background. So, you know, I might have missed something in the other introduction, but you know, apart from being a yogi, and but I also want you to talk about your uh, experience as a physician. Okay, I'm originally from Nelson in New Zealand, and I was a professional basketball player for Nelson in New Plymouth, and then that was while I was doing my medical training, and then I moved to Australia in the early 90s to train in the relatively new specialty of emergency medicine, and I spent the next kind of 15 years flying around in helicopters to major trauma and running North American trauma centers and flying with the RFDS in Australia. And after 15 years, I realized that it wasn't really the, the type of work that I wanted to do anymore. So I retrained in nutritional environmental medicine and I ran my uh, nutritional medicine for 15 uh, nutritional medicine clinic in brisbane for 15 years and now i'm trained where i kind of got in the niche market of, of complicated unexplainable disease which not wasn't necessarily why i why i opened the clinic i really opened the clinic to teach people how to stay healthy and now i'm now transitioning more into an educational role where i'm trying to teach people through social media and youtube and the podcast to how to stay healthy rather than to recover from a long, unexplained illness, which appears to be happening more and more, that people are developing. You know, when we, when our really, when 100 years ago, people were dying of acute infections and trauma. And that's what our modern health system was set up to deal with, acute infections and trauma. And it was very effective at both. But now, 100, 150 years later, the problems aren't those. The problems are now chronic degenerative disease, largely built on by the world that we have created and our lifestyles. And we don't have the answers necessarily in a hospital system. The answers are, the answers lie in us using, and this is what I'm really interested in, using scientific research to validate a lot of our traditional health practices that we have moved away from and which are becoming much more relevant at the moment because of this virus problem. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's, I mean, that's what exactly what we're going to get into, but you, you know, you talk about a lot about degenerative diseases and, um, Ill, and, and these major illnesses coming up that seem to be getting worse and worse and worse. You've literally, t you, you're, you're quite, you're, you're quite different to like the, um, the the normal societal physician you have a look at also ancient wisdom as well as uh, mother healing through mother nature right and do you do you want to talk a little bit about um, your philosophy through that just touch on that as like why you like ancient wisdom so much and why you do think mother nature actually has the answers for us well I think I mean 
the really satisfying thing is when I see a scientific research paper come out, you know, there's a whole lot out now about the benefits of saunas. And it's kind of like been proposed that we've discovered this great new health technique of saunas. But I always say, you know, you don't want to tell the Native Americans that we've just discovered a new health system called saunas when they've been hopping in sweat lodges for thousands <laughs> of years. And you don't, you don't want to tell the Russians and the Vikings that we've discovered this great new health system of getting cold water because it's good for our mitochondria when they've been doing it for thousands of years. Mm. And, you know, now, now we're going back and, and looking at, I write a lot about the benefits of cod liver oil, particularly with this viral problem. Mm. And we remember that, you know, our grandmothers were given cod liver oil at school yeah. every day. Until until antibiotics came along. And here's the funny thing. Here's the really interesting thing is that we didn't have antibiotics until about 1941, mm, okay. well, 41, which was penicillin, okay. which was discovered during World War II when a scientist found this penicillium mold growing on a mango in a market in London, and we discovered penicillin. Fast forward to 2020, our best antibiotic is penicillin, yeah. and we hardly have any antiviral medication, and we hardly have any antifungal medication, and these infections are becoming more and more difficult to treat. So we have to go back now. We're finding that we just don't have the tools, we don't have the weapons to fight this war. So we, and what happened was that because we discovered antibiotics, and we thought these were going to be the cure all of all problems, particularly with infections, we relaxed a lot of our inbuilt evolutionary defense mechanisms against disease and said, great, we don't need to worry about that anymore. We've just got antibiotics. But now we're discovering that it's not enough. And we're waking up and going, look, there, there was 4.5 billion years of evolution where we, we learned how to cope with the fact that we're surrounded by a trillion viruses. You're sitting there now in Bali and you have a trillion viruses surrounding you in the air. Yeah. Same thing here. I've just been for a swim at Byron Bay. 200,000 different species of viruses in the ocean water. That's been the case since you know we started off as a, as a life form billions of years ago. Wow. And we have evolved, we've evolved with these viruses and these infections and we've discovered what's called phonesis, which is practical wisdom. How do, we, how do we survive in this sea of microorganisms? And you know, I, I, did, I went to Arizona and I did some work with the Apache in Arizona and this natural healer, I spent two days in the Arizona desert with him and he was showing me how the Apache used to choose food and they would choose food. And Arizona is extraordinary because it's just one giant cactus-filled desert straight out of the movies. Mm. John Wayne to walk around a corner, and and this 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 elderly healer said, "Look, we looked for plants that would grow in tough conditions. We looked for plants that would could could survive attack. We didn't know why they were surviving. We didn't know about microbes, but we knew that if the horse bit this plant and it died, and the horse bit this plant and it survived." there was something about that plant which had a medicinal quality. Wow. That was how they chose their food back then. And that knowledge was passed on for, from generation to generation for thousands of years. Mm. And we're forgetting that stuff now. And it's time that we're starting to remember how critical that is for us. But it's mm. also amazing to the new, see the new scientific research telling us what is in those foods and validating and justifying those old practices. Wow, that's amazing, man. I can 
that like that makes so much sense to me and it's really good to hear it from your background but coming from a medical medically trained background and also connecting that you know looking back at so much time in our history to go hey these guys were actually right and so you're you're the doc you are the type of doctor and the physician that we actually need in this world to connect the two worlds of our you know ancient ancestors and the current world that we live in now but you know like you said let's talk coronavirus and let's talk viruses you're talking about this virus that coronavirus now you're saying that we go out and and have a swim like you said at byron bay there's 200,000 organisms that are like viral organisms right now right like that you're encountered that you've encountered 200,000 species species okay so that's all different effects on the body that all have different effects on the body Yes, there will be trillions of, of actual numbers, but 200,000 wow. different species. Okay. So in that case, uh, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk about, but the first thing is, well, how is coronavirus different to these different species that you encountered at Byron Bay today? Well, it's not really. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the coronavirus is in the same family as the virus which causes the common cold. Mm. So it's a more virulent one. It's got different weapons, okay, and it causes a can cause in some people. That's a critical thing. Some people a more severe illness, and it almost certainly looks like it's going to leave some people with permanent lung damage because it is so damaging to the lungs. Wow, and probably be be one of these viruses which can persist in the body. So therefore. Therefore, we don't have the weapons to fight it. Mm. We have to look for time-tested strategies which will determine who gets sick from the virus and who doesn't get sick from the virus. Because you and I are going to get exposed. I can't remember. There's this movie, and I've been for the last week trying to remember the scene in it, but there's this movie where this... This, this man says to the woman, he says, you are going to get this virus. You are going to get sick. Yeah, okay. We're all going to get it. And that's what's happening. We're all going to get exposed to us. Yeah. A few of us will get sick. Most of us won't. The question is, how do we get everybody in the group where most of us won't get sick? And that's the key thing. Because we, we, don't, we just don't have the tools to kill this virus once it gets established in the body. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So we'll talk about those tools and, and how we can uh, heal that in a second down the down, later on in the podcast. Yeah. But like, um, <clears throat> why why would it affect uh, one person as opposed like say you know we've all we're all carrying it. We un- we understand. I un- I can understand that. But how would it affect? Why would it affect me differently? Say to you, like, is it does it have okay. a lot to do with our genetic structure or what's your thoughts on that? There will be there's a genetic component yeah. for sure, but you and I can't fix that, so that, that can't be changed. Which is why medicine has moved away from genetic, genetics a lot into epigenetics, which is how does the environment interact with my genes? We've got genes, but they don't have to be switched on or switched off. Um, and we've now discovered that the mitochondria, which is a whole new discussion that you and I, another discussion we can have, for, uh, determine which genes in our nucleus get switched on or switched off. So ultimately what we're discovering is that 95% of degenerative disease has mitochondria uh, as 
mitochondrial dysfunction as the basis of that disease. And the health of our mitochondria determine which genes switch on, switch off. As do cancer, we now know that cancer is caused by not by a mutation in the nucleus of the cell, but it's caused by a mutation in the um, in the DNA of the mitochondria. So concentrating on our mitochondrial health, which we can have a discussion about later on, is incredibly important from our genetics. Let me maximize my genetic expression. Well, then we concentrate on our own mitochondria. And you and I, I think we spoke about that when we're sitting in a cafe in Ubud. Um, the, but then you've also got the five roadblocks that, that I spoke about in my two recent videos, uh, which you've watched some of, and the, the social isolation is not a roadblock, although although it can be. And it was one of the books I've read recently, which we'll come back and refer to later, uh, is called Empire of the Summer Moon, about Kwana Parker, the last of the Comanche chiefs. Have you read that yet? Okay. No. Have you read it? Oh, it's an extraordinary book, and it's an absolute it's absolute must read. But one of, the, one of the lessons out of that book was don't fight a war if you don't have to. Now, no, and, and what, what happened was that when, when a civilization started to march across the western boundary of the United States, the Comanche, who were by then were one of the most powerful Native American tribes, decided that they would just clear out and they would avoid this tide for a while because a lot of their other tribes were being wiped out by new infections. And so they, they disappeared into the high plains around Oklahoma and Texas and kept away from the tide of civilization because they knew there was something that was being spread by that population. So, so in some degree, social isolation does work. Yeah. Uh, because you're going to minimize your exposure. But those were to bacteria a lot of the time. So ultimately, social isolation here is designed to flatten the curve. We don't want everybody getting sick next week because we will overwhelm our health resources. It's much better if the illness trickles into the hospital because most hospitals in Australia and I'm sure around the world now operate at full capacity at the best of times. You know, that was one of the reasons I left the Royal Brisbane Hospital was that, you know, Saturday night my job work changed from being, you know, uh, opening up chests with scalpels to trying to solve the problem that there were 10 ambulances waiting at the front door with no beds in the hospital. So that's on a good day, let alone if we get this massive flood and the US is having to deal with this. We're just not going to have enough ventilators in this country to ventilate the people who need it. So there is a degree of avoiding, of, of social isolation, stopping us fighting war, but invariably we're going to get exposed to this virus. Yeah, okay. So, so, now, so the benefit of social isolation for you and I is one, avoiding the rush on the, the over, overwhelming the resources, but two, now's the time to build our resilience, build our strength, and that's when the five roadblocks come in. And the first roadblock to avoiding getting sick from the virus that we're invariably going to get exposed to is uh, vitamin D from the sun. So what happens, how this works, and this is fascinating, this is incredibly fascinating, is that the first thing that happens when the virus gets into your body is that 
it gets it meets a white blood cell in the bloodstream called a macrophage, which looks like the old Pac-Man things that we used to play on those computer games. It goes around and gobbles up virus. Now, in fact, I'm wrong. The first roadblock is zinc, and we'll talk about the best source of zinc soon because zinc helps the macrophage recognize that the virus is a foreign threat and it should be destroyed. If you're low in zinc, and, and, and conservative data would say that at least a quarter of the world's population is critically low in zinc. So you will not recognize the virus as a threat. Your macrophages won't recognize it. So your first roadblock is get your zinc levels normal. What are the best, what's the best for, the source of zinc in the, in the homo species diet? It's oysters. So oysters, four oysters have about 60 milligrams of zinc. Now, a zinc capsule you'll buy in the health food shop's probably got 20, 25 milligrams. So oysters are just like nature's zinc supplement. Just extraordinary. So so, so just copy on that one, um, just quickly. Like you, I, know, I know you were vegan for many years, and you know I am um, plant-based now as well. So if you can't eat oysters, is there a plant-based solution that, that is pretty high as well? Uh, for zinc, the answer would be seeds. Hemp seeds are probably oh, awesome. the I love hemp seeds. Yeah, so so your hemp seeds would be seeds and nuts. Zinc is very, very low in the plant world. That's one of the problems with a plant. Now, when I say plant, remember plant-based, people get confused. Plant-based is not vegan. I'm plant-based. I mainly have plants. But I do now have some animal protein um, and animal fats. Yeah, that's that was interesting hearing. Well, that was hearing nice. hearing your journey on that was very interesting, and, and I got a good perspective from that. But I mean, that's another podcast in itself. So, <laughs> so that was the first roadblock, which is zinc, yes. and then, you, then we're going into vitamins, which is oysters and hemp seeds for those who don't eat oysters. Yes, um, but, so the next one was vitamin D. Vitamin D. Okay, so then the macrophage, the Pac Man, eats the eats the eats the virus. And then it destroys it. So Pac-Man, my friend Robbie Mitchell calls Pac-Man the U.S. Marines. U.S. Marines went in first. They're the least resourced. Uh, they go in with uh, shit equipment and not enough preparation and, and, and holes in their boots, and they're still the first guys in, and they want to be the first guys in. That's their kind of, like, identity. We're the first guys into the shitstorm. Um, and the macrophages are the U.S. Marines of the immune system. They envelop this virus, and then they pull it apart. They smash it into bits. And what they use to do that is a protein called cathelicidin. Now, cathelicidin tears that virus to bits because you have to remember that all a virus is, a virus is an envelope filled with a little piece of RNA or DNA. That's it. And what it does to make us sick and we should have talked about this first, but what the virus does is it sticks on our cells, it attaches to a receptor on the cell, our cells, and then it sticks out a giant hypodermic needle, penetrates our cell, and squirts in its DNA or RNA into our cell, where it replicates inside our cell until the cell is full of virus particles, and then the cell bursts open, and all these baby viruses come out. So that's how viruses make it. Because when all those- and that's in the nucleus. <clears throat> no, that's in the cell cytoplasm. 
That's in the cytoplasm. Uh, oh, yeah, so, okay, so it goes into the cell. It injects into the cell past the receptors. Yes. Um, and then into the cytoplasm and then infects all the organelles in the, in the, in the cell. Yeah, it basically fills up your cell with baby viruses and that cell bursts open, releasing all the baby viruses, and then our immune system goes absolutely crazy and you get what's called a cytokine storm, which is where you and I are lying in bed you know, with muscle pain and fevers and feeling dreadful, that's that's mainly our immune system reacting to the virus. Wow. Wow, okay, cool. That's that's so the body at work. Okay, so so the vitamin D helps the macrophages. So is that is that what you were saying? The vitamin D act basically activates the cathelicidin, which then pulls the virus apart mm. and destroys it. Now here's a really cool thing. What the macrophage then does, so it's now neutralized that virus, torn it limb from limb, pulled it apart, and then it, it passes those particles of virus onto the next level of immune cells, which then develop antibodies against those virus particles. So it's taking a very small part of the virus, which is now dysfunctional, giving it to the uh, next level of immune cells, which then produces antibodies, so that when you and I get exposed to the virus next time, we've got antibodies to destroy it on the spot. Mm, wow, okay. So it's nature's vaccine. That's what a vaccine does. You stick a bit of a, the, the kind of uh, a virus particle into an injection with a whole lot of other stuff and inject it into the body, and then the immune system makes antibodies to it. Okay. We've already got that system, and the system's called cathelicidin and vitamin D. Wow. Um, wow. Okay, so that's just like standing in the sun for get some sun. however long. Get some sun. You want to maximize your vitamin D levels. Don't get burst, burnt, but you want to try and get as much sunlight as you can. Okay. People, people say, well, what about if I'm living, you know, during a winter up in up in Sweden? Well, one, get as much sun as you can during the summer because it's a fat soluble vitamin and will get stored in your fat. But wow. you can then you, you're just you're just storing some money in the bank for some rough time. <laughs> Which is what we're all having to do now. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, do like other animals do. Uh, what other animals do, they head south for the winter. So, uh, you know, have a couple of weeks in Bali uh, or Florida if you're in the US just to, during winter to top up those vitamin D levels. Wow, that's amazing, man. And, and look, just quickly on that, I've heard that, you know, you get the early morning um, ultraviolet sun as opposed to like, is better than the, the later in the day like the higher uv is that is that true good question um but not quite you're on the right track you're smoking um you're smoking but not quite there so all all, all times of the day are important for different reasons the the light first thing in the morning last thing at night is mainly red obviously you get up and the sky is red that's mainly because that that spectrum of light then is mainly filled with the red and infrared light and what that is important for, two, two main things. One, it, it's in the morning, it starts your melatonin production. Melatonin is your sleep hormone, your anti-cancer hormone, your anti-diabetes hormone, your um, fix my mitochondria hormone. It is the most incredibly powerful substance on the planet almost. And its production is started. We've got to produce it first. So you get up in the morning, you see that infrared light, and your body says, okay, I've got to start producing melatonin, which I'm going to need later on in the day when I want to go to sleep. Then the other thing the infrared light in the morning does is it starts to prime your skin. It's getting your skin ready for the ultraviolet light later on in the day. So, you know, you remember, you know, when we 
you know, when I grew up in New Zealand in the 1970s, you know, there wasn't much sun in Wellington. And, and wherever it came out, you know, we, we dashed out in that midday sun because we never knew when it was coming back again. And, and we, you know, read as a lobster from sunburn because our skin hadn't been primed. So nature's very clever. It says, hey, Greg, you've got to run a marathon. Well, you've got to do, a, you know, some training to prepare to run. Ah, okay. So the infrared light primes our skin and says, look, there's some ultraviolet light coming up later in the day. It can be a bit rough on the skin, but we're going to get your skin ready so you don't do much damage. So that's why you don't go rushed out, you know, in, in summer with, with out in the midday sun and just blast yourself with that UV light because you're going to get burnt. You want to gradually increase your exposure, get a little bit of a tan and start off earlier in the day so that infrared light starts to get your skin ready. Yeah, okay, that's perfect. I'll let my um, my little ginger nephew know that, uh, my sister, to, yeah. to get him out in the morning sun first. <laughs> okay, so we've got the two roadblocks. Now, what's the third? If we continue on to the okay. third. third one is selenium. Interesting. Now, selenium, uh, which is a very powerful mineral, and remember, the, remember that the the motto of the New Zealand Organic Magazine is healthy soil, healthy food, healthy people. Mm. So, it's critical to remember that that wow. our food is only full of these minerals if the soil is full of the minerals, mm. which is why interesting another podcast for you and I to do, which is about the move now to regenerative agriculture where we're starting to concentrate on improving the soil that we grow our food yeah, in yeah definitely uh, and, and selenium is critical for a number of things but what it does here is it stops the virus from attaching to the receptor on the cell if that if if the if the person with the hypodermic needle wants to come and take your blood from you but can't get the needle through your skin they're not going to be able to get any blood from you. Same thing here. If that virus cannot attach to the wall, to attach to the receptor on our cell, it can't inject its hypodermic needle and squeeze in its RNA or DNA. Wow. Okay. So where do you get this selenium at? So if it's sort of selenium, guess what? Brazil nuts. Wow. Okay. Four, four Brazil nuts a day gives you about 200, 300 micrograms of selenium, which is plenty. Wow. Uh, seafood also high in selenium. But from a, if you're talking plant-based, you'd go Brazil wow. nuts, four Brazil nuts. Four Perfect. Brazil nuts. Yeah, that's all you need. Okay, so there's the three There's three roadblocks. What two more have we got? Um, next one is iodine. Iodine, okay, yep. Iodine. So iodine, the best source of iodine is seaweed or kelp, or you can get iodine supplements. I'm okay with that. Now, the really cool thing about uh, iodine is that um, it, what it does is, one, look after the health of our thyroid, which is very important because thyroid hormone, which helps your immune system, is a tyrosine molecule with four iodines attached to it. Just one proviso. If anybody has known thyroid dysfunction, particularly autoimmune disease of the thyroid, Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, they have to be very careful with the use of iodine. It's very, it's still useful for the thyroid disease, but it has to be monitored and started very slowly at low doses. But otherwise, for the rest of it's fine. But iodine, one, the main thing that iodine does is helps selenium stop the virus attaching to the receptor. But also, here's a really cool thing. What it does is even if the virus does get into your cell, so here's a series of roadblocks we've got, 
if the virus does get into our cell, it's then got to get out of the cell, burst out of the cell as all these baby viruses to trigger our immune reaction. Guess what? Iodine stops the virus bursting out of our cells. Wow, okay. How cool is that? That's amazing, man. And I mean, I don't, I'm not making this stuff up. Anybody no, no. listening can, <laughs> can go on and search selenium antiviral, zinc and antiviral, iodine and antiviral. Okay. I'm, just a, I'm just a simple guy from Nelson. Luca, you know that. I'm yeah. not very smart. But yeah. the stuff is, I leave all the research to the smart people. I just, yeah, totally. Uh, you're, the interp- you're the communicator of the information. It's, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. Okay, so you know, what's the last one here? I do know that you and I as a species have been consuming seaweed and oysters um, and nuts hmm. and for thousands of years. Yeah. So so we worked it out anyway, even before the scientists. Scientists hmm. are just validating while we did this stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally, brother. Um, and so what's this, the fifth roadblock? So this is like the ant- the fifth roadblock for the antiviral to prevent corona. Yes. Vi- vitamin A. Now, vitamin A is amazing. Vitamin A forms what's called a cytokeratin skeleton. It's a layer of keratin around each of our cells, and you can see images of this online. It's called a cytokeratin skeleton, and that basically acts as a force field that the virus can't get near the cells. So we've got this inbuilt force field around the cells to stop the virus getting to the receptor. So where where do we get vitamin A from? Well, there's two choices. One, you can get it from animal products. And the best animal products for vitamin A, well, the best best one is is basically liver. Liver is a store of vitamin A. And so we've consumed liver for a long period of time. But what most people do, and what your grandmother did and my grandmother did, is that we got cod liver oil. And they got cod liver oil at school, did for a long period of time. As we discussed, they stopped that. Cod liver oil is full of vitamin D. So again, if you can't get out in the sun, you're getting about 80% of your requirements of vitamin D from cod liver oil, but you're also getting a big dose of vitamin A, which forms this force field around your cells. And the other way to get it from plant-based is through carotenoids. Carotenoids do get converted to vitamin A in the body, but probably not enough, fast enough in a crisis. But if, if you want to think, you know, if we're like, oh, hang on, we, we really need to reinforce our defense systems, you probably want to get vitamin A um, itself rather than relying on carotenoids. And the richest food sources of carotenoids are ruby grapefruit, acai berry, carrots, and sweet potato. Wow. Jesus Christ. Now, now I, I don't know about dragon fruit, but, you know, I'm a dragon fruit junkie. Yeah, same. And uh, when I was in Bali with you, I mean, that dragon fruit is next level deliciousness, that red one. So I mean, I'm sure that dragon fruit and papaya or pawpaw, depending on where you come from, um, pawpaw definitely is, and I'm sure dragon fruit as well. But the four best, sweet potatoes, ruby grapefruit, acai berry, carrots. Wow. Okay, cool. High in carotenoids, which get and the body. Okay, that's fascinating, man. That's awesome. Okay, so look, these were the antiviral roadblocks to help prevent corona, right? That we can all get in there. So that was the five roadblocks. Now, yeah, we. Yeah, so they don't just prevent corona. That's the beauty. They, they, they prevent. You can't. I mean, you and I are surrounded by a trillion different viruses. Okay. We can't have a virus 
vaccinating yourself for one virus, well, there's a trillion of them. What do we do about the others? Yeah. We don't have a trillion vaccines. This is a system which nature evolved, nature developed to protect us against all of these viruses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying, and it's just um, that's okay. That's beautiful to hear that. So, I mean, we didn't even touch on this. Just quickly, we're going to go loop back onto the cell health, and so how we might be seeing, say, like there's this um, virus has come into the cell when it's injected into the into the cytoplasm. Just for those people listening, how does this virus affect us on a cellular level? Can we just touch on that just in, in layman's terms, uh, please, Greg? Well, it doesn't really. I mean, a virus isn't alive. I mean, I, I read somewhere the other day that somebody said, don't eat eggs because uh, viruses feed on eggs. I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, a virus is, you know, three or four tiny bits of DNA in an envelope. Okay. It, doesn't eat, it doesn't eat anything. Uh, it's it's not an organism that goes around eating chips and burgers it's, um, or eggs. It's just a tiny, tiny little bit of DNA that wants to integrate into our DNA. DNA. Now, interestingly, most of our DNA is actual viral in origin, and research has shown that that's been a good thing for us. Most of our DNA has come from viruses which over 4.5 billion years have slowly accumulated. And we have a lot of that. It's called dark DNA. We don't even really know what it does. But one of the things we do know it does is it gives us spare parts for um, adaptation. So one of the reasons that we have survived for so long as a species, and the dinosaurs are no longer here, is we have all the spare parts DNA so we can quickly adapt to in different environmental circumstances. That being said, you know, there, there, are, there are unfortunately sacrifices along the way of us accumulating this viral DNA, and some people don't make it because of this over the last 4.5 billion years. Um, so the, the, the virus doesn't cause disease. The disease, the symptoms that we get are caused by this massive cytokine storm that we get caused by our reaction to the virus. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if, if I, in hospital, you get injections of interferon if your immune system's not working very well, which is what our body produces to fight infections. You get an injection of interferon, you're going to feel like you're dying because it's, you feel, you get a fever, you get muscle pains, you get knee, joint pains, you ache all over. It's that what, that's what causes a lot of the disease. And of course, the the this breaking open of the cells. You know, anybody who's got had a cold sore on their lip is going to say, "Well, Greg, that's you know, I don't get a cytokine storm when I get a cold sore on my lip. I've just got this big ulcer on my lip. That's caused by all these cells rupturing open. Mm. So you get the virus by cells rupturing open, releasing the baby viruses, and then on top of that, you get this cytokine storm caused by this immune system. And one of the other really good things about zinc, and I can't remember if you mentioned it, is zinc modulates that inflammatory response. So people who are zinc deficient are going to have a much more exaggerated inflammatory response, which is why zinc is so critical in, in helping us. Because not only does it have antiviral properties, not only does it have receptor properties, it also modulates our immune system. And, and as I said, at least a quarter of the population, and I think it's a lot more than that, are deficient in zinc. Mm. So, and 
I just want to say one more thing about zinc because this is really, really amazing as well. Is that one of the reasons I don't talk about zinc a lot is because I don't want people flooding out and buying zinc supplements. Okay. Because there's a potential problem with that, and that's copper. Now, zinc and copper are in this seesaw balance. The human body is about balance, which is why we always want to try and get our medicine from plants because there's two things about plants that are important. One is the balance. They've got the balance of all these nutrients right for us because we've evolved with them. And secondly, there's what's called an entourage effect, which means that you know, if we're using a drug for something, it has one mechanism of action. Mm. Whereas a plant contains, a plant's gone, hang on, I can't just have one defense system against a, you know, a horse taking a bite out of me and me getting microbes. And I've got to have multiple defense systems. So all those phytonutrients in plants work as an entourage. They work together. So even if we do that with, with um, you know, we made that mistake with, you know, even with glucosamine and chondroitin, we took it out of bone broth and we said, we think these are the things in bone broth which is good for the joints. Well, it is, but bone broth works much better than those things because you're getting a whole ton of other things which helps the glucosamine and chondroitin work together. So you want to try and get it from from its original source if you can. Now, that's where oysters are crazy because if you take too much zinc, you might drop your copper levels. Now, high copper is bad for you, but so is low copper. We want balance in our bodies, surprise, surprise. And copper is required for your immune system. So if you drop your copper levels, that's going to cause you different immune problems. Now, what's the really cool thing? What do oysters contain also? Copper. So here's, here's nature's zinc supplement. And it's going, well, hang on, we've got to be careful with the copper. We're going to stick some <laughs> copper in there as well. So, so oysters have got about 100 grams of oysters have got about 60 milligrams of zinc. But surprise, surprise, they've got about 7 milligrams of copper in it. So wow. here's, here's this nature saying, okay, i got to get the balance right. And uh, that's, that's, I mean, we didn't know this until recently, but that's what I love. We're going, okay, let's let science show the incredible wisdom of nature. And there was a video out today from New York saying they're reintroducing the oysters into New York Harbor because New York's basically built on oyster shells and they got rid of all the oysters and now – you know, they've got erosion problems and, and flooding problems. And every time there's a storm, New York now gets flooded. So this video was about how they're reintroducing oysters into New York Harbor because the oyster shells have stabilized New York for, you know, thousands of years. So just fascinating how nature works and how we're learning how nature works. Mm, that, I mean, geez, you've got given us so much information there, Greg. That's fantastic. Another thing just on, on um, oysters, I heard that they do have B12 as well. Yes. Um, and that, I mean, that's another fascinating aspect to what that, what that, you know, um, nature has in that oyster. And not only that, I think there's actually some, a lot of people, there's a controversy because a lot of like people that are on the plant-based or say vegan diet, they eat oysters um, because they're considered bivalves and um, aren't sentient and, and all this stuff. But that's another conversation. I just wanted to throw that in there. So, um, but anyway, look, let's move forward. With understanding that a virus does not eat on the back, or does not eat on eggs because it's not living, which is different to bacteria. Um, I'm really grateful for my uh, study in in biology and biochemistry right now because I'm able to like sit here and have a, a an interesting conversation with you. 
but say bacteria is a living organism, but um, viruses, which is what the coronavirus is, is not. Is that correct? Look, that's a big debate. I mean, if you Google that, are viruses alive or not? The question is, how do you define life? Okay. Uh, and that's a big, giant debate. But, you know, the common consensus would be that because viruses don't contain mitochondria, they don't have a, they don't res- have a respiration rate, they don't have any other forms of life that we would recognise it, that the general consensus, of that, as I said, fiercely debated, because human beings like a good debate, is that viruses are not alive. Yep, correct. Okay, cool. I like that. Okay, so now how they thrive in our body is by changing our DNA to match their own DNA, so then they just multiply? Yes, they're looking for a place to reproduce. Okay, and that's in our own cells, in the cytoplasm. So they, they take the transcription and they, and they add their own codon, so to speak. Yes, correct. Okay, crazy. Now, what you're talking about is the five antiviral roadblocks, right, that stop these viruses, any virus, the 300,000 that you just got on your, on your swim or when you walk down the street today, those roadblocks prevent the multiplication of any virus going into our cell. Is that right? Yes, they don't discriminate against viruses. They go, okay, we've got to have a, we've got to have a general strategy. We have to have an effective weapon which is going to deal with all of the viruses, not just different ones. And that's why these are, these aren't. I can't remember the phrase, but they're not selective for individual viruses. This is a viral anti antiviral strategy strategy for any virus. Because if you're going to have a fight, you've got to choose an effective weapon. There's this great story from Empire of the Summer Moon about the Texas Rangers and the Comanche. Have I got got time to tell you about the story of the Texas Rangers and the Comanche? Yeah, yeah, you have. Okay, So one of the great lessons that came out of me reading Empire of the Summer Moon, the Connor Parker, the last of the Comanche chiefs, was that... If you're going to fight a war, you have to have the right weapon. And so a weapon against virus is, 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 has got to be a weapon which takes care of all viruses, not just one or two. If we're surrounded by a trillion, we can't just have a strategy for one of them. We've got to have a weapon which deals with all of them. And that's, that you know, was a fascinating story about the Comanche and the Texas Rangers is and, and what I kind of really hit home for me how effective, how important it is to have to an effective strategy. And it was fascinating because what was happening was that as as civilization moved into Texas and started to take over the Comanche land, the Comanche would uh, start fighting the surveyors, the Texas surveyors who were plotting off giant hunks of their land. And so the the US sent out the military to fight the Comanche. At this stage, the Comanche were the most incredible horse-borne warriors the world has ever seen. And they had bows and arrows, and they could they could drop down from their saddle, hang underneath the horse at a full gallop and shoot off 10, 12 arrows within a few seconds. Now, what the U.S. forces had is they had single-loaded muskets, and they lined up like they did when they fought the French and the English in, in double file and shot off, you know, single-shot muskets uh, against a galloping force who could fire off arrows in seconds. And 
it was an incredibly ineffective strategy in fighting the Comanche. Then came along, I came along a guy called Jack Hayes, and Jack Hayes started to learn that he had to learn how to fight from the Comanche. So he and he formed what's now known as the Texas Rangers. And they learned from the Comanche about how to ride horses, how to shoot arrows, how to camp, how to track. They said, we have to learn from our enemy to fight our enemy and use strategies that will be effective against them. We can't use age-old strategies. And then finally, the story goes on and that um, they that Jack Hayes finds a, uh, finds a discarded weapon called a, a Colt, which was a five-shooter pistol that the U.S. Army decided was of no use to them. And he had it developed by Samuel Colt, who developed, and they, they eventually developed this the six-shooter pistol, or the six-shooter revolver, which means they had a weapon that was more effective than the Comanche's bow and arrow. So that really changed the world, and particularly the history of the U.S., because at that stage, the U.S. military had no weapons to fight the Comanche or a fighting style. So the Texas Rangers revolutionized warfare by learning from the enemy, finding out their strengths, and then developing weapons that were effective against that enemy. And that's what we have to do when we're facing this viral threat. There's no point going in with strategies we've used in the that we've just developed now, which appear to be ineffective in killing viruses. We have to go with strategies that have developed over 4.5 billion years. We've got to learn we just learned how the viruses cause disease. We've got to come up with strategies to counteract how that virus replicates in our body. And nature has given us those answers through 4.5 billion years of evolution. And we can't outsmart that system. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. And so um, that's what you're saying. You can't outrun it. You have to outsmart it. Like that story you've just said, and we've just talked about the five antiviral roadblocks for Corona, which is saying it's not going to like pinpoint one, it's going to help defend against everything. And that's what nature does. But like, as the body evolves, we will evolve. And I'm sure there'll be other things that we can do as well. Right. So is there anything else other than those five antiviral, uh, antiviral roadblocks that we can do to implement, say, increase our mitochondrial health or to help uh, stop the spread of this coronavirus. We've already talked about like the, you know, flat, flat, creating a flattening the curve of the influx of coronavirus people, uh, yeah. infected people with coronavirus in the hospitals. And now we've talked about this, these roadblocks. Uh, what else can we do, Greg, to, to really help our immune system fight this coronavirus? Okay, let's talk about two more things. One you mentioned, and the second one is basically the reason that you and I decided to do this podcast in the first place, which was about fear and panic. Yes. Because well, Let's talk about the mitochondria first. So the mitochondria uh, used to be little bacteria. They then, several billion years ago, were engulfed by another bacteria and which changed life forever because they basically then turned off. Up until four and a half billion years ago, there was one life form on the planet, and that was bacteria. And in four and a half billion years something really weird happened, which has never happened again, was one bacteria engulfed another bacteria, and that bacteria that was engulfed became what's called the mitochondria, which then provided an energy, different energies formed to that bacteria and produced all other life forms other than bacteria. And it's that mitochondria which takes um, oxygen and food and converts it into energy. And that's where our energy comes from in the form of ATP. And 
the organs with the most mitochondria in them, you and I have about a one quadrillion mitochondria in our body, but the organs with the most are the ones which require the most energy, the brain, the heart, the ovaries, and the immune system. So if you want to have a good immune system, you want to have good mitochondria because they power your autoimmune. So no point having, doesn't matter how many tanks you've got or aircraft carriers, if you've got no fuel for them to run, you're in some trouble. Agreed? Right. Yeah, agreed. The mitochondria provide the fuel for our defense forces. So mitochondria are pretty good for running by themselves. They've run for 4.5 billion years. What we have to adopt, stop doing is stop stuffing them up. And if we just leave them alone to do their thing, they'll do it okay. And one of the things which is stuffing up our mitochondria most at the moment, well, let's – and mitochondria communicate with sunlight. So the best thing you can do for your mitochondria is get out in the sun. The worst thing you can do for your mitochondria is expose yourself to a lot of electromagnetic frequencies and blue light. And we know that the mitochondria are powerfully affected by blue light – which is why we want to get as much natural light as possible and avoid the blue light coming out of our computer screens and phones and minimize our exposure to electromagnetic frequencies. So that's the best thing is time. When we've got some time at home now in social isolation, you know, we want to get outside and get some sun and we want to minimize our exposure, particularly at night, because what we say at the start of this is how do we repair the mitochondria? Mitochondria, like engines providing uh, energy, and they run on fuel, and that fuel, as I said, was food and oxygen. When they do that, when they take food and oxygen and turn it to energy and warmth, they produce pollution as well. Like any car engine, yeah, you're getting power for the car, but you're also getting pollution. And that pollution ends up poisoning the mitochondria. You know, you're running your car in a locked garage. Well, that's not a very good idea. That's a very bad idea because you're going to get carbon monoxide pollution, which is going to cause you some major problems. So what does the body do? The body has designed a system, hello, uh, to repair the damage and minimize the pollution. Well, what's, what is it used to do that? We talked about it before. It uses a hormone called melatonin. And the melatonin, when it's secreted at night, after you see the sunrise and your brain says, oh, hello, it's nighttime, I better go to sleep, it starts secreting melatonin. And what does melatonin do? Well, we know that it kills cancer cells. We know that it makes your pancreas work better. And we know that it repairs the damage to the mitochondria. It gets rid of old damaged ones, that's called autophagy, and encourages new ones, and it minimizes how much pollution they've got. How do we screw up that system? We shut down our melatonin. How do we shut down our melatonin? By getting exposed to artificial light after it gets dark at night. Wow. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm glad you said it in very simple terms like that. So, okay, we've got the mitochondrial health. Now, let's talk about I mean, a lot of biohacking now is based like really about everyone's really focusing on mitochondria, not only for like immune system health, but also for anti-aging and stuff like that, which is very fascinating. I won't touch on that because that's not this topic, but let's talk about the fear that's happening in society right now and the immune system um, and how fear affects our immune system, Greg. Great question. I mean, there's two parts of the brain, basically. There's a part of the brain called the lizard brain or the tyrant king brain. That's involved in fight the four Fs, fight, flight, food, fornication. And that's where we go when we're in fight or flight mode. 
And that's, I mean, I, I, that even comes, it was one of the things that I learned, you know, learned, as you get older, you get wiser because you go through some stuff. And I learned that in one of the things that in relationships, and I was talking to my daughter about this recently, and uh, she said that, that somebody told me that a good relation, in good relationships, people never have any arguments. Well, that's not true at all. In fact, the, the reverse is true. The literature shows that people in the best relationships have lots of arguments, but what they have developed is great ways of resolving those arguments and really good ways of doing that. And one of the things that you learned, that I learned, was that, was that you have got no chance of resolving a conflict with your partner while you're in your tyrant king brain, while you're in your lizard brain. You are in fight or flight mode. You are in angry mode. You're um, in no way that you are going to be able to make intelligent executive decisions in that mode. You're concentrating on survival. So the best relationships have a system where we go, okay, we're both in fight or flight mode. We're yelling at each other. Nothing good is going to come out of this. We have to walk away because we are not going to resolve this issue while we're in fight or flight mode. We are going to come back and, and resolve this issue when we're out of fight or flight mode, out of the lizard brain mode. But they also have a time limit for that. You can't say, okay, let's do that in a week. You know, it's got to be the same day. Let's walk away for two hours, come back, and we'll discuss it because you resolve nothing in that fight or flight mode. So the first problem is that we've got it. We want to get out of fight or flight mode, which is the panic mode, because we're not going to be able to make rational decisions. And in fact, when I trained, I did a lot of training with the SAS in Australia um, up on the Sunshine Coast. And what they teach, the military teach, particularly the Special Forces, is a system called Stopper, which is stop, think, orientate, plan, take action. And that's what you really, the first thing you need to do is stop the panic. Because if you're in the wilderness and you get lost, or you're in fighting a war in Afghanistan and trapped behind enemy lines, the last thing you want to do is panic. You'll make irrational, poor decisions. So that's where the stop comes in. And you can even, I mean, we learned that in emergency medicine was that don't panic, and because the next lesson is to prioritize. So we learned to stop, and we got taught ABC, airway breathing circulations. What are my priorities? So the first thing you do is stop. Now, in emergency medicine, that might be for three seconds, four seconds, while you, while you get yourself together, but you still have to stop. Stopping allows you to do the next one, which is think, and then we go to orientation. Orientation, what are my assets? What are my liabilities? And that's what you and I have been talking about the last 55 minutes. What are my assets? What are my liabilities? My liability is this freaking virus. What are my assets? My assets are these five roadblocks and for the short term, some social isolation. Then we make a plan and then you take action. So that's the first thing you have to do is not panic because you won't make any intelligent decisions because you're stuck in tyrant king mode. Uh, and then you orientate, plan, and take action. And that stops that because what happens is it defeats itself. What's the hormone that goes up as soon as you get into panic mode is cortisol goes up. And cortisol, although in the short term useful, high levels of cortisol in the long term are destructive, including to your immune system. So you've got to stop that panic. And everybody's panicking at the moment. Yes. And that's where we've got to sit down now, stop, think, orientate, take action. And part of that orientation is about 
the next thing the special forces teach you is is prioritize and execute because you're going to get multiple problems coming at you at at once anybody who's in the military and i come from a military family know that there's never one problem that you're introduced you know you, you're getting shot at the roof's falling in your you, you can't your communications are shut down they have these multiple problems all at once and that's what's going to happen to us as a society. So now what are my what are my priorities? I'm going to stop. I'm going to think. I'm going to orientate. I'm going to uh, um, plan around my priorities. And then I'm going to execute or take action. So that's the big thing that we can do at the moment. And, and it's time. You know, what you're doing now is educating people and teaching people and getting information out. This is how you can. Uh, how you can. Here's what your assets are in this situation. Now let's make a plan and let's take some time to it. So we're not going to get that dramatic rise in cortisol, which is then going to get us stuck in the lizard brain where we're not going to make good decisions. And the next thing we have to do, and the next thing that, what do the Navy SEALs work as? Are they lone survivors? No, we all watch that movie. They come as they come as teams. And it's probably a good time to sit down and watch Lone Survivor again, which is the never give up philosophy. Never give up. I mean, you talk to Marcus Rachel, that guy crawled for four or five miles on his stomach, and all he did, he, this is what he said he did, he drew a line in the, he was lying on the ground with a broken back, and he drew a line in the sand a couple of feet in the dirt, a couple of feet ahead of him, and all he had to do that next was to crawl to that next line. And then he grew another line in the sand and he crawled to that one. And that's how he made it to the village that eventually he got saved from. So, but the, the, the critical thing to understand is that they work in teams and they work in tribes and they work in communities. And the problem was, is, and the hope, the hope, and a lot of those interviews I've done down at the Harvest, how they're starting to send out food parcels to everybody, is that we have survived as a species because we're tribal and we work in communities, and we support each other. Now, we're going to go through a lizard brain reaction at first where everyone's going to panic, but then because we are this incredibly resourceful species who our strength comes from tribe, we're going to start cooperating again in tribes and communities, and that is the way we will survive, which is why the social isolation has to be short-term because otherwise we're taking away our great survival mechanism, which is our strength as, as tribe and community. And, and one of the pluses in the short term is a family is going to start eating around the table again together. And, and and eventually we will come out of this through our strength as, as tribe. So know that, it's, that is coming. So stop, think, orientate, plan, prioritize, execute, have hope and faith that as a species, we've done this for 4.5 billion years and we'll do it again. And we will do it through love, tribe, community, support, cooperation because that's how we've done it at the moment we're a bit panicked because we've been out of that system for a while we're going to find it again yeah that's a uh, that's beautiful man i really appreciate that and and i think um that's the main point here is that no one in this generation well majority sorry especially the the, the younger generation haven't really gone through any challenges like we didn't go through the wars we didn't go through any other like serious depressions um and so it's a nice way to just go, all right, we've got to collect ourselves here because this is what this is the cards we've been dealt and this is what we've got to this is how we've got to play the game. But you know, I think the essence of what you just said there is to really just slow down, to really think about it. Don't react so quickly. 
with uh, and to activate this level your levels of cortisol um, because you're panicking straight away, right? And and I think you know I, it would be cool to just touch on where cortisol really just affects us. And you talk about how we can enhance our immune system with the five antiviral roadblocks, but how does cortisol prevent that in the body? Well, cortisol is a great, is, is, that's the fight or flight. You know, you and I are being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. All we're going to concentrate is on running. We don't need to run it. We don't need to run anything else. So cortisol allows us to sprint for half an hour to get away from the saber-toothed tiger. And that's the way it's been designed to work. It is not designed for us to sprint for three months. That's going to cause some problems. So cortisol is a tool for, and an incredibly, incredibly important tool. I mean, you can't survive without cortisol. If you, It's the one hormone you can't survive without. If your adrenal gland stops producing cortisol, it's called Addison's disease. You're not going to be around for hours. It's that important. Um, you know, JFK, um, the US president, had Addison's disease and he had to take cortisol every day. It is that important of a hormone. So again, hello, we want balance. We want the right levels. Too low cortisol is called Addison's disease. Too high cortisol is called Cushing's disease. And Cushing's disease where people get the buffalo hump on their back and, and the round face, and you'll see that in people with steroids for their autoimmune diseases. That's also... Uh, a huge problem. So like anything in life we've discussed, we want the entourage effect and we want balance. And the body is designed to keep our hormones balanced except for acute, severe situations. Cortisol is designed as an emergency hormone. You get adrenaline first, then you get cortisol. Adrenaline allows you to lift the car up off somebody. Cortisol allows you to run for half an hour to get away from the saber-toothed tiger. But... Over time, have a look at people with Cushing's disease. Over time, that high cortisol is incredibly, persistently high, is incredibly destructive to the human body and also the immune system. Wow. Okay. That makes so much sense. I had no idea that you could have, you didn't, like, it's that important that you actually need it for sure. But I mean, that's everything, right? It's like everything's in a good balance. And I've recently heard, and this is going back to your ancient wisdom here, is I read a book recently which was talking about, you know, how Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and that then the chaos came in when the the serpent jumped the wall, was tossed into the four walls, right? And that it was a blessing because the the evolution of a species was attributed to that serpent, that chaos being in the room, because how would we have developed these skills and these understandings of survival or how would we have learned through those challenges? We wouldn't have and would still be an infantile species. Um, do, you, do you have your perspective on like, you know, this coronavirus creating challenges? Do you have this perspective on how it's going to like, we're going to adapt, say we're going to create a better perspective on health and our own internal health. What's your perspective on, on what this is actually doing for us, what this coronavirus is benefiting for us, Greg? That, that's where the hope and faith come in, comes in. And that's where, you know, those videos I did with Blair and Tristan down at the harvest at uh, Iron Bay, where they're, they're, now, they're out now collecting food from local farmers to put in boxes to send out to their community. So we're going to, this is going to be a wake-up call for us to not forget who we are as a species. Sure, we've evolved, but we've also gone away from a lot of the things that have made us so strong. And this will be 
a wake-up call that we can't neglect some of these nature's laws. And I think we're going to see, okay, we love all this technology, but we also love what's made us a successful species, which is coming together as a tribe uh, with love and kindness. And we're going to get that reminder. And then we're going to use the knowledge that we have gone through this crisis to come out much better on the other side. And that's what we have to be careful about. I mean, people talk about it for financial situation. They say, do you think we're going to go back to gold and silver as as money? Well, we won't go backwards, but out of this situation, we're going to find there's a new financial situation that comes out of it as well. We just have to be very sure that it's the right one. And that's the thing, how are we going to adapt and survive? And we will, but now's the time to be very careful about the choices that we make. And that, I mean, that's the situation in all ways. And I, I teach my daughters that, you know, when they, uh, my, my youngest daughter uh, plays water polo for Australia and she goes on lots, lots of tours overseas. Uh, and I say, look, when you're wandering around a strange city, make sure that when you're walking through the strange city that you're turning around and looking where you've come from. Because if you get lost... You get lost, and you and I've done that in the wilderness, where you walk through the wilderness, and then you you get a bit disorientated, and you turn around, wanting to go back, and you can't recognise at all where you've just come from. So it's very important, you know. And um, and the Maori in New Zealand, who I know that you'll have a strong affinity with, have the saying. I can't remember it, but it's something to do with always looking back to walk forward. And I haven't said that very well, but that's the gist of it. I learned from our ancestors. You know, the All Blacks, the All Blacks, what? They became the most dominant sports team on the planet by looking at where they've come from and their heritage and the mana that comes with that. You know, and Richie McCaw and Dan Carter really changed that team because they looked back and said, okay, we've got to learn, we've got to remember where we've come from and use some of those lessons to go forward and become this incredibly dominant team. So looking back to go forward, I just, I, you know, I've, yeah. I can't remember the exact phrase. I've just, I've, just, um, I've just looked it up. It's Kamua Kamuri. There we go. That's it. Looking, looking back in order to move forward. Kamua. It's fabulous, and that's what we're going to do. Yes, we're going to go forward, but we're going to look back at this lesson and previous lessons and see where we've done it and make sure this time, here's a critical thing, make sure that we make really good decisions about the way we're going to come out of this. And and that will be, okay, we need to embrace our strength as a species, which is tribe and community, and we're going to learn how to get our medicine from food and sun again and things like that. Man, that's it's been an amazing podcast. I think we've got to a point where we needed to get to, and and um, this is just one of many what you and I are going to do. But I, yeah, like I think we've we've got to the point where people need to realize that this is a big part of our own personal evolution. That there are these roadblocks to helping prevent. Uh, to, to slow down this virus by going back out and connecting back to nature, which is a big part of your message. And um, not only that, but also how we can flatten the curve so that the, because your experience being 15 years in the emergency department, you realize that these, these hospitals can be backed up really, really quickly just on a regular basis. So with this 
virus coming in, you know, the last thing we want is the hospitals getting inundated with casualties. So, you know, this message is really important for people out there is that, hey, you've got the answer out there. It doesn't need to be at the shops. It can just be as simple as getting out in the sun, but also, you know, taking those, that zinc and the selenium and the iodine and all those other things that you've mentioned um, and realizing that we've just got to slow down, stop, think about what this is actually doing for us and not triggering that panic mode because that panic mode is affecting uh, increasing our cortisol which is affecting our immune system in the first place but you know uh, there's so much goodness here man and, and yeah we can't outrun this we've got to outsmart it and that's exactly your message right now greg so you know is there any last little bits that you would like to to leave the listeners about how we can um you know, potentially one thing that you think is really important going forward now with this coronavirus? I'm just kind of sitting here slightly embarrassed about you summing up an hour and nine minutes of my talk really <laughs> succinctly in about 30 seconds. So well done. <laughs> um, I think that the take-home message is what we finished with, which is look back yeah. to go forward. That this is a crisis, that there are lessons of the past, there are lessons of the past, how we flourished as a species, how we survived microbiological onslaught, how we survived as through community and tribes, and use that ancient knowledge, use science, which is now validating all that ancient knowledge, mm -hmm. to have the hope and the faith that we're going to go on and come out much stronger on the other side of this in a better world for all of us. Yeah, amazing, brother. I appreciate that. And I, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of wisdom out of this. And now, look, for people that are really interested in your work, which I know they will be, how are we going to get in touch with you? Is I know you've got a YouTube channel. What else is there that you're, you're doing at the moment? Yes, so there's a YouTube channel called Treat the Cause. There's my podcast called Treat the Cause. Yeah. There's my Dr. Greg Emerson on Instagram page. And I have a Patreon page where everybody, anybody who wants to support my work, where I write almost daily articles at the moment about this. And oh, and there's my website. Uh, I have two websites, uh, drgregemerson.com. That was kind of the old Dr. Greg Emerson. And the new Dr. Greg Emerson is uh, the mitochondrial yoga dot com website where i uh, i've you know transitioned now into my yoga studio and uh my ayurveda training and um some of the supplements that i recommend people take oh man that's awesome i'll throw those links up in the show notes but it's been an absolute pleasure greg and and i'm really excited for people to connect with you and and just on just secondly like mitochondrial yoga is probably the the most new age name ever and i think that's going to be the future man and it's awesome to see that you're um putting that out there so well, i can't wait to share that here's the interesting luca if what happened to me hadn't happened i wouldn't have ended up in bali training and yoga therefore wouldn't have met you in bali therefore i wouldn't have been having cups of tea with you in the seeds of life cafe in Ubud, you and I wouldn't be cooking now. So yeah. out of adversity comes really exciting good things as well. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I agree. And I'm glad I'm grateful I've met you. But thank you so much. And to everyone listening right now, if you can really if you've got something out of this, just take a screenshot of the podcast and share it on social media and tag Dr. Greg and myself on Instagram. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. And I know a lot more people need to be hearing this. So sharing the love is essential. Thank you so much. And until next time, people, peace out. 
Thank you so much for listening to the end. I'm incredibly grateful to share these magical lessons and experiences with you here. Please, if you can do anything right now, adopt the takeaways that our guests give you in each episode and use it in your life and share it with your loved ones because that's what matters. And remember this, Socrates once said, the secret to change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. It's time to wake up, my friends.